Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Aneta Winimko, Portfolio Manager of Fidelity Global Consumer Industries Fund, joins us today for a timely discussion on global consumer spending at a time when global economic activity may be slowing. Aneta, who is based in London, shares that trends are showing an upcoming weakness in consumption, especially in Europe. This means investing in consumers could be complex, and it is very likely consumption in Asia will continue to grow. Also today, with host Pamela Ritchie, Aneta shares that companies with strong brand and innovation will be successful, and she unpacks habits of Gen Z consumers, noting they place a large emphasis on sustainability and the value of their purchases. Today's podcast was recorded on September 16th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Great to see you again. How are you? Your garden looks lovely. Thank you, Pamela. Nice to see you as well. And and hello, everyone. Yeah, we're very glad that you could join us here today. I wonder if we begin with sort of what is, it does seem to be what everyone is talking about. It is sort of the energy story and it goes to the health of the consumer and, and the disposable income that is there. Can you sort of lay out for us, I think we know the general narrative, but what it means when you look at it very carefully through the lens of consumer demand. Yes, now obviously this is, this is the big, uh, the big issue and the big problem that we are facing going into, into winter. And obviously very much so in Europe, uh, UK as well. There has been a lot of coverage by the news agencies and media of this impending crisis. So I think consumers are very aware, uh, but maybe not necessarily yet taking measures in terms of saving and, and maybe cutting some of the spending that they need to be cutting. On the other hand, we also have governments stepping in, and, uh, and I suppose people might have seen uh, the latest from the new prime minister in the UK. The first thing she has done was introducing a cap uh, that way makes it much less painful that it could uh, could have been. Uh, we've seen similar measures taken in Germany, so it is an unprecedented time, and a bit like with COVID, in unprecedented times the governments tend to step in and try and help. And I think that that's going to be the pattern of this winter, but obviously quite quite a difficult situation for the consumers. It is, and, and for the central banks, but we're not going to talk about that so much right now. One theme that you know gets woven into, it is part of the energy story, it's really the energy transition story. You know, and a year ago, we were talking about sort of the stickiness of demand for companies who follow ESG fundamentals who, you know, for investors who want to make sure that they're investing with an ESG lens. How does that work ultimately with so much focus on just getting what we would call more traditional sources of energy through the pipelines, literally at this moment? Mm. 
I know, I know it's, it's very topical. And actually only yesterday I had the pleasure to, to speak to the CEO of Nestle, Mark Schneider. And obviously they as a company have very robust agenda of moving towards sustainable manufacturing, sourcing, logistics, anything. But he's also aware that the situation for the consumers is going to be quite hard later this year. And he's trying to balance all these important projects that he has ongoing with the need to invest in pricing as well. Because obviously what companies end up doing is pricing themselves out of the affordability of consumers. So it's a very delicate balancing act where you keep the initiatives going, maybe you slow them down a bit, because as he said, the planet is not going to wait. We have very big issues that need to be solved, but at the same time, we are also facing a tough winter. Uh, so I think companies which, which are thinking and kind of planning ahead, they all have these initiatives in place, how to balance this near term with the long term uh, projects that definitely need to be implemented. It's it's really fascinating. I I wonder if the issue these are all big chunks and we'll sort of spread out to the the consumer in a second. But but actually, just the story of currencies and and how we're watching different currencies. How how does that also affect who's willing to buy? I mean, who's willing to spend depending on what currency in a global marketplace? Are you watching mm. that as well? Yes, of course. And and actually. The Canadians are in good shape. <laughs> We're doing really well. Yeah, in a good shape. I, I am probably in a, in a country where the currency has completely collapsed. So obviously it has impact on how people decide in terms of their holidays. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, in Europe, we are seeing a boom of travel coming from, from North America. When you go around in Paris or Milan, there is so many tourists coming from from the US, also from Canada. And actually prices, especially of luxury goods, tend to be uh, quite a bit lower, 10, 15%, and then you can get back your VAT. So those those people who decided to come here also are spending. So you have a group of companies that actually benefit from that. Uh, But then obviously there is the whole lot of European consumers that cannot think of traveling to the US or Canada because it has become very expensive. So yes, the, the, the currency movements have been massive uh, when, when one looks here on the air. It's also quite unprecedented. And it puts it puts the global consumption even more so on the shoulders of the American consumers who have yeah. been spending, who continue to spend, and, and who are also benefiting the European uh, companies uh, by, by doing so. I'm very curious. I, mean, you, um, I, I know pre-COVID, you would, you would make many trips to Asia, to China, to, to check out opportunities for the fund ultimately there. Um, how do you look at the consumer in China right now and, and also some of the companies that are there right now? Is it actually all priced in and therefore looking like there's a glimmer of hope or not? So again, case by case, China, China is going through a difficult, hopefully last leg of COVID. Uh, it's, it's taking very long for the government to to get over um, all these medical issues that, that we managed to do. And at the same time, there is also underlying economic weakness, partially driven by the weakness in the profit market. So there's an over, overall weakness in the demand, which is aggravated by, by lockdowns. But at the same time, 
the propensity of the Chinese consumers, especially the younger consumers, Generation Z, to spend is very high. So whenever they have the opportunity or the brands that they love, they do want to have the latest, the best, the best products. So generalizing with consumer is always very hard because obviously a huge population and many people in very different situations. But there are segments of the space that are doing well and there are some other segments, especially exposed to the lower, lower income consumer that are struggling. But that, that is a pattern that actually we are seeing in Europe and in the US as well. Well, let's talk about that segment of the market and then maybe we'll look at it sort of by age also. But for those companies catering to a lower income customer or to customers that are no longer willing to pay high prices, what do you see in there? What can you give as a sort of example of what might be of interest to investors to take a look at? So those companies, um, we can take Walmart, for example, a huge uh, U.S. retailer that has suffered uh, and had um, a few profit warnings, partially self-imposed because they have gotten the inventory uh, wrong. They ordered the wrong things uh, and those wrong things arrived at the wrong time. Uh, So partially it's self-imposed, but there's also an element of them trying to stay price competitive. And this is very important because, for example, what I am seeing in the UK, the food retailers, uh, the Tesco's of this world, are really struggling because they have the discounters, the likes of Lidl or Aldi, the German discounters that are taking market share in a very aggressive way. So um, it, it really is an environment where the companies have to be very granular and think about the end consumer that they serve and make sure that they don't lose them. Because obviously winning back a business of consumers and loyalty is very hard. So everyone is in a position. And if you are really selling to the low end consumer, it's it's a difficult situation because you need to stay price competitive and you cannot really fully take advantage of the inflation that we are seeing. So on the other end of the spectrum, the, the luxury side of things, which often people will say even in tough times will hold up, it tends to be recession-proof or by some accounts is. How is the luxury market looking right now? Has it shifted globally, sort of where the luxury brands do best? So it has shifted in the last few years. In a way, luckily for the luxury goods companies, the attention has shifted from China to the U.S. The U.S. has become a much bigger market and a much deeper market. So today we talk about new store openings in Texas, in all sorts of places that before they wouldn't even think about going because the cons- consumption is there, because the, the local consumers that have made money, whether it's in, in gas or some other commodity facing or maybe tech, but the fact that a lot of kind of wealth creation in the US has spread out through the country is benefiting the sector. And the U.S. is really the strongest market or one of the strongest markets still. The momentum seems to be still there and it's kind of coming to Europe as well for travel. And another geography that is doing extremely well is Middle East. So obviously benefiting from price of oil, but also benefiting from the fact that people, whether Russians or Chinese or or people from many countries that might be afraid of the environment in Europe in terms of regulation and and the security of their money, they feel very comfortable in places like Dubai. Uh, So yes, 
with luxury, there is always something happening in the world that is offsetting the pains in the other parts of the world. And that's exactly what we are seeing. That's fascinating. I lived in the Middle East and they have a lot of malls in Dubai. A lot of places buy luxury. (laughs) It's great shopping. Very expensive shopping, actually. But in the U.S., just for a moment, because I was curious about about some of that coming back to the U.S., as you say, to offset China's lockdowns, essentially. Is it everyone heading back to New York City, for instance, or, or, you know, they're going to L.A.? That's that's sort of everyone's going back within the U.S. to sort of the big shopping centers. Well, New York is special, and I actually went there in in the summer, and I had some meetings, and 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 the traffic on like Fifth Avenue is back. They 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 were quite pleased with, and and above what they expected. So I think people go there just to go and spend time. But I think also companies like Airbnb make it so much more exciting to go all over the place and experience and see and and not just end up being, being in New York. So I think this, this continues to, to be happening. I think the travel within the U.S. is actually really strong and, and the hotels are benefiting from that as well. And then the travel outside of the U.S. has also picked up. So I think this is something that has obviously flourished post lockdowns. And the big question is, is that going to continue? Yeah, that's so interesting. And so it's different parts of the U.S. as well as the big centers. I mean, it's sort of somewhat spread out, is it? Yeah, definitely. Um, going back to Generation Z or Z, just depends on how you look at it. You said there's sort of a propensity to spend, but in particular ways, in specific ways, I always think it's interesting to ask your opinion about this. I think I think we've asked before that actually there's often a propensity to spend in more sustainable ways. Is that still yeah. the case? Are there other areas of interest to you within sort of the mindset ultimately of how Gen Z and Z wants to spend. I think I think the way they they want to spend is luckily different to the way maybe we've grown grown up spending. They really think about sustainability, and they also think in terms of the value of what they buy. Uh, can they resell? Um, so there is an element of that. Uh, sometimes they buy because they are planning to sell the product, uh, thinking that it has higher resale value. Uh, but I think that element is quite, quite important. But also today we obviously can get a lot of information digitally and, and very easily accessible. And the whole social media, TikTok, it makes things that are popular, very popular, very quickly. So yeah, we see lots of hot things that come up and maybe they stay hot for a while and then something else comes up. So obviously generation Z is, is a big part of that. Um, but I think the element of how the products are made and, and the tech behind the product and the way they are designed, uh, I think is, is more and more important. What's I an example more... of that type of product? You're talking about the tech, the way that the technology that's designed it. What, what's an example? Company that has been very good at coming up, um, Obviously, we can talk about Apple, but that's an obvious one. Yeah. Uh, but another one which might ob- be obvious to you is 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 Lululemon. And uh, and uh, so just to give you an idea, they have came up with a collection of shoes for women, running shoes, uh, shoes to exercise. And you know what's special about that? Well, they have spent three or four years designing those shoes, and they have specifically designed it for the shape of woman's feet. 
of food yeah. uh, because uh, because I would, a lot of bigger brands do the athletic brands they are much more kind of focused on on men and men's sports and they basically take the men's shoe and adjust it for women and it's a oh. very different design and research process that ends up in a very different product so the launch of the shoes has been very successful they haven't made enough of them especially the ones in this kind of vibrant colors that they put in ads. And it's just an example of one of the products. They have the whole lineup of, of products which are functional. So we all exercise and, and there is, I think, us. We all should exercise. We all should exercise. We also all want to look good when we do so. So they or have. Or even <laughs> not when we're exercising. Yes. <laughs> even more so, yeah. So in the, for the autumn, they have a lineup um, of products which have like little fluorescent patches. So if you go running at night, I don't know, a car passing by will see you, but also the kind of coolness. So little things like that, it takes a lot of design and planning and thinking to come up with. And I think as someone who gets that and comes up consistently, I think the generation Z is all over it. Men and women are going back to work, um, but I've noticed I'm talking more about seeing a few men here and there wearing ties, wondering if they're, you know, going back with the suit look or what, what are, are there any traditional elements that are sort of on that side of things that, that are of interest or, or has, have things changed forever? I'm still curious about that. I think, I think the, the traditional, the traditional suit tie uh, look we will see, but I think we'll, it probably is going to look, we'll think, okay, someone who looks like that is either very traditional or eccentric. And, and I think the mainstream look is already much more relaxed. Maybe still a tailored jacket and still a nice tailored, uh, maybe custom-made shirt, but maybe not necessarily buttoned up with a tie. So I think the opportunity for styling dressing is even bigger for men now than before, because you can kind of combine colors and textiles and and being much more creative, a bit the way women have been dressing. So I think that that that, that actually is an opportunity, quite a big opportunity in menswear. Shoes as Shoes. well for men. Yes, there is the whole group of companies. Some of the luxuries, so for example, for Xenia, they are trying to revive the brand and make it much more younger and appealing to younger people. And the beginning of the revival started with a shoe. So they came up with a shoe called Triple Stitch. Uh, that has been um, some of the people like Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan were seen in, but also lots of younger, cooler people. Not that Jamie Dimon is not cool, but, but so, so the show is also an opportunity to create iconic products that, and, and there are many men that buy them in all kinds of colors and the only shoe they wear. Uh, so yeah, I think it takes an opportunity in this change of, of how people dress. Um, I know that in the past we've talked about food and beverage and, you know, ultimately that side of things. We, we heard just an awful lot about obviously how expensive food is for everyone to buy. How do restaurants deal with that? Do you still look to sort of food and beverage as places to invest or is it actually a pretty tricky spot right now? I think I, I am. I have investments in food and in beverage. In food, it's such a fragmented market. The brands that operate are actually quite small in terms of their market share. And it is a market where the opportunity for innovation 
it's interesting. I had a meeting yesterday with the CEO of DSM and they've done a lot of research in terms of how to make mixtures for cows so that cows in different geographies, different types of cows uh, benefit in terms of the metabolic system. And I was sitting there and thinking, it's more research done about that for cows than for humans. (laughs) So (laughs) I think the opportunity... The opportunity so someone schools. should get on that. Someone needs to get on that. And actually Nestle is on that already. They are doing a lot of in terms of the metabolic health and the things that they can do. Uh, so I think food is a very interesting category, but it's not very easy to invest because a lot of the traditional, especially the US-based companies, they are really the packaged kind of mass-produced food that is really not what we should be eating at all. And maybe that's okay in the near term when consumer is under pressure, but long term, I think we will completely move away from that. And and there will be much more space for the science-based personalized nutrition than uh, people like Nestle are thinking about. What, what about the beverage side of things? Well, I mean, Nestle makes hot chocolate, of course, but I meant other kinds of beverages. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. What happens in the in the beverage space uh, during COVID kind of continues. So people have learned to be mixers, how to mix and how to make cocktails. And I think they trained uh, their palate in terms of drinking better, hopefully drinking a little bit less. But the volumes point to actually the volumes are quite strong. So I think people are probably drinking more overall. Uh, so the consumption at home continues because everyone still entertains and the expectations and abilities have improved and people are going out and drinking. So the, the, the spirits market, especially in the U.S., has been quite strong. Um, I've been on holiday in the U.S. Uh, trying to, 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 to entertain some guests and I couldn't find Aperol. It was all sold out. So I think that <laughs> that that continues. But obviously question is, as consumers get squeezed going into autumn, will they still afford this little pleasure of having a nice cocktail at home or will they be cutting on it? Uh, It obviously is a discretionary item. Yes. Well, yes, yes. Um, Coffee, is that still an area of interest or or in Mm -hmm. fact, has that, I don't know, how, how does that change as we come out of the pandemic? Do we drink more or less or we just go out for it, I guess, more? Yeah, we go back to the we go back to Starbucks by the sound of it. Um, I've been I've been for a long time uh, kind of fan of the category and trying to invest in it because I think coffee uh, is replacing it's it's the modern Coca Cola. Uh, it, it really is a way and Generation Z is all over it as well. Um, actually, this week, uh, Starbucks has an investor day, so I'm very fresh in terms of uh, data about coffee consumption in the U.S. And for them, uh, 70% of uh, of coffee in the consumption in the U.S. is cold brew. So it's not the whole hot drink, but is is the cold coffee. And I remember when I went to the investor day, probably in 2018 in New York, when they just introduced that. Uh, and and there was lots of skepticism, like who is going to drink cold coffee? What's the point? And today the business has completely shifted. They really created a completely new category. So coffee on the go, coffee, um, coffee is I think a category where. And again, the Generation Z is a very big customer base. 
And what Starbucks is also has been getting right with all the issues that they actually had that made uh, Howard Schultz come back again. But what they got right was the innovation and the way they went into the pink, orange, all kind of colors, drinks right. that look amazing in social media. Uh, so, um, so I think coffee is, is, is a great category and the way I do have exposure is obviously Starbucks, but also Nestle has quite a strong business in coffee and I think it will continue to be. All the fruit from those drinks gets stuck in the straw, but they taste really good and they look, they look beautiful. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's always an issue on that. So, so a little bit of a sum up then when we look at, you know, ultimately how spending in the consumer is going to go and, you know, how you look at going to different areas of the consumer space based on how you feel, just sort of remind investors what avenues need to be taken by you in terms of positioning. So the way obviously investing in consumer is not, not easy these days. Um, but I think it has never been. So, so maybe it's just part, part of the package. I think what we are going to see is obviously some weakness in, in consumption, especially in Europe. And that's unavoidable. There's already a bit of a slowdown ongoing in the US. And it's obviously coming from a high base. Uh, so we are going to probably experience that as well. And at the same time, it is also quite possible that we are going to see some improvement and maybe acceleration in consumption in Asia. Uh, we have the party congress happening mid-October, which is a very important point because I think once the political situation is clear, hopefully the government starts acting in a more rational way and thinking more about the economy, but we don't know. So my my expectation is that the companies that have very strong brands, innovation, and and they are basically coming up with, with products that will excite the consumers. They should be okay. Consumption as the category is huge. It's 70, 80% of GDP. So obviously there's lots of space and scope for sales. There's also danger of disappointment because it's not an easy environment. But I think that there is a group of companies with the execution innovation are really very strong and, and obviously multiples. On, on everything in the market, but also on some of those high quality companies have come down substantially. So we might be in a unique opportunity to really buy, buy them and really own them for a very long time because they, 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 they really are uh, quite good at what they are doing. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch how you are maneuvering this in your comments about China. I, I think so many people are wondering about that Congress and what it'll mean. Anessa Winimko, I want to thank you for joining us on Fidelity Connects. It's great to see you as always. All the best. Pleasure as always. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts, and don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.